And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with me today is Dr. Peter Hammond, a missionary located in South Africa. Peter, it's great to have you with us today. Thank you so much. We praise God for the opportunity. I think we met perhaps on Facebook and then followed up with uh, some contact information, and lo and behold, here you are in the program. So it's a, a great delight to us. Um, Peter, maybe you could share with our listeners um, what you're involved with there as you reach out in your area of the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, Frontline Fellowships, a reformed African mission based in Cape Town. We're indigenous. We've been evangelizing in the war zones of Africa for the last 32 years, assisting persecuted churches and working for reformation, praying for revival throughout Africa. We work as far afield as Angola, Mozambique, Malawi, Nigeria, Congo, Sudan, uh, Zimbabwe. Uh, our mission uh, has pioneered missionary work primarily in neglected and resistant mission fields uh, since 1982. And, and the vision actually began when I was in the Army. I was uh, in the South African Defense Force. We were fighting the Russians and Cubans on our borders. It was right in the heart of the Cold War, late 70s, early 80s. And uh, as I was praying for Operation World, the intercessory handbook, I saw there on one of our all-night prayer meetings, Mozambique, the least evangelized country in the Southern Hemisphere, not one Bible for a thousand churchgoers, and nobody under 18, no missionaries in the whole country, and not even 4% of the population would consider themselves Protestants. And God put such a burden on my heart for Mozambique and for other countries that were our enemies. Uh, at that stage, there were communist countries and the revolutionaries and terrorists, the guerrillas that were coming and attacking our society and planting landmines and shooting down aircraft with these heat-seeking missiles, these red eyes. Um, uh, they were coming from and sponsored by the Soviet Union using our neighboring countries. So as we were praying, God made it clear to us that we needed to recruit Christians from a military background who'd be willing to go into war-torn areas and, and work in areas where the gospel is either not legal or where it was not very safe. And we knew how to get in these countries and God put out our heart to smuggle in Bibles, to do leadership training, to do love and action for the Christians who are caught up in the crossfire of these hideous conflicts and persecuted by these very brutal Marxist dictatorships. And so over the last uh, 32 years, I've personally carried out well over 120 missions behind enemy lines and preached well over 14,000 sermons and Bible studies in 36 countries now. And... Um, during this time, uh, we've come under uh, aerial and artillery bombardments and mortar fire and been ambushed, and I've had on a number of occasions been preaching in churches uh, in Sudan, for example, where we've come under aerial bombardment or artillery and rockets fired from the Muslim uh, Mujahideen on the other side of the Sudan Air Force. So over the years, uh, quite a number, over 20 of our missionaries have been imprisoned in Marxist and Muslim countries, and I've experienced that three times myself. And uh, on every occasion, God opened prison doors and set the captives free. So our mission's been having um, a lot of tremendous, exciting experiences of seeing God work in some of the most difficult and dangerous situations. Mm. That's, a, that's a ton of information very quickly. <laughs> I'm amazed. Um, one of the things that you mentioned, Peter, was that um, you were looking for Christians to join you in this missionary outreach 
and particularly Christians from a military background, because you knew that they would be going into these situations where uh, it was extremely dangerous. And I, I assume that being trained militarily would uh, help them cope with some of the fear and, and actually survival uh, techniques. Is that correct? Yes, indeed. Uh, now, I was brought up in Rhodesia, what today is Zimbabwe, so um, we were at war from the time I was five years old, and so I, I grew up in a, in a war environment. Um, my father fought in the Second World War, in fact, all of male relatives going back uh, several hundred years um, were in uniform at uh, uh, some stage, so I don't know any generation of, of Hammonds um, who weren't in uniform and didn't fight in different wars, going back way past the Napoleonic Wars to the Viking invasions. Um, and my brother was in the Rhodesian Army, I was in the South African Army, and uh, the Bible study and prayer fellowship that I ran uh, was dynamic. It grew from 3 to 12 to 24 to 80 in the space of two years, and we saw soldiers coming to Christ, and we experienced God's miracles and His intervention and protection, so we knew where God guides, He provides. We, we knew that the will of God will never lead us where the grace of God cannot keep us. We'd, we'd been under bombardment, and we'd experienced God's protection. He's our shield, my fortress, my strong deliverer, our high tower. So for us to step out in faith and trust the Lord to protect us in missions was natural after having seen Him protecting us in full-on battles. So uh, our, our mission grew out of, out of the war in, in Angola and Southwest Africa, and um, then we got re- recruits from the Rhodesian War and, and people who'd fought in, in many different places around the world, we had people come and join us from the British SAS and from the paratroopers and uh, marine backgrounds. Just, it was an extraordinary experience uh, to have such wide variety of people from Australia and England and America and uh, Germany, um, uh, from obviously South Africa and Rhodesia were the mainstay, but uh, a wide variety of Christians who shared our Reformed faith and our evangelistic burden, who wanted to make the Great Commission our supreme ambition. And that's what the name symbolizes. Frontline fellowship. Those who've been the front line of battle, who want to be in the front line of missions, serving the Christians who are on the front line of the faith where they are suffering persecution for their faith. And so, uh, from the very beginning, our, our first vision was evangelizing in war zones. Mm. And this included reaching soldiers for Christ. But the second great burden was to serve the persecuted churches, to provide love and action for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering persecution. And we saw the need, because on preemptive raids behind enemy lines in Angola, where we attacked terrorist bases, uh, we would, on the way back, try to find the local villages and, and ask them, where's your local church? And time and again, they'd point to burnt-out place and say, that was the church. Mm. The Cubans burnt it down. We'd say, where's the pastor? And they'd say, oh, well, the communists shot him, or they crucified him on some occasions, even. Oh, my. We'd say, what can we do to help you? And we saw starving malnourished, often weak and wounded people saying, yes. they wanted Bibles. And when we Amen. brought Bibles out, we gave them Bibles in the language, people cried and danced and said, this is the greatest gift anyone could ever ask for, the Word of <laughs> God in my own language. I've been praying five years from a very copy of the Word of God, and so uh, our mission really developed from, from those experiences of seeing the hunger for the Word of God, the famine for the Word of God in these communist war-torn countries. Oh, my... We do need to take a short break. Today on the phone line with me is Dr. Peter Hammond, and he is the founder and director of Frontline Fellowship. 
And we're learning more about that uh, during this interview, and uh, we have a lot more to go, so stay with us. We'll be right back after the break. We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today, Dr. Peter Hammond, the founder and director of Frontline Fellowship. And Peter, it's a, it's a great privilege to have you on the air with us today. And uh, we've been talking about your missionary activity uh, in your part of the world. And again, could you remind our listeners and myself... What parts of the world have you ministered to, has the Lord used you to bring the gospel to? There are 55 countries in Africa, and I've ministered in 36 countries. Our our mission works from Cape Town in the very southernmost tip of Africa. That's where our mission headquarters, Livingston House, is situated. And we work all the way up through Zambia, Zimbabwe, Mozambique, Angola, uh, Congo, all the way up to South Sudan, into the mid-mountains in Sudan, and Nigeria. So uh, all the way into western North Africa, um, and of course South and Central Africa is is very much our our main areas of ministry. Mm. That's a large area. After the interview today, what I need to do personally is is get a map out and start uh, understanding the geography better. Um, There's a lot of countries here that you've ministered to, 36 countries, that's a lot. The Gospel of Christ, uh, we're, you know, we're just days away from celebrating Christmas. Uh, uh, today is the Saturday, the 21st of December, four more days until Christmas. Uh, people might say, well, why do I want to hear about all these war stories and uh, all of this stuff? But, you know, as we reflected on it before we opened up the mics, um, one of the greatest Christmas presents you could give someone is to tell them the story of salvation, share with them the gospel message. Can you expand on that a little bit and tie it in somehow to Christmas for us, Peter? 
Oh, yes. Well, you know, one of my favorite passages of the Bible, and especially at Christmas time, is from Isaiah chapter 9. And we all know um, Isaiah chapter 9, at least part of it, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Well, in that passage, in Isaiah 9, verse 6, uh, we see the undeserved favor of God, how in the future he'll honor Galilee of the Gentiles, not a sea along the Jordan. Uh, we see in Isaiah 9, verse 1, there shall be no more gloom for those in distress. And it speaks about the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of a shadow of death, a light has dawned. And so we can see uh, so much of the principle here of uh, that God is a God of love, but God is also a God of justice. And he saves, but he also judges. There's a message of the cradle, but the, that includes the message of the cross and the crown. Yes, the incarnation, Christmas, we remember the incarnation of Christ. He has come to the earth in the form of a human, born in a humble stable in a wooden cradle. But that wood of the cradle should remind us of the wood of the cross. He was born... To die. He's not only the son of David, destined to the crown, but he's the son of Abraham, destined for the altar, the altar of the cross. And so the Christmas message of the cradle, emphasizing the deity of Christ's incarnation, should remind us that the purpose of his coming was the cross. He was born to die as an atonement for our sins, yet the Savior whose incarnation we remember at Christmas will come again as the eternal judge. He who died on the cross now wears the crown of the sovereign Lord of the universe, King of kings, Lord of lords. We will all stand before his throne and have to give an account of our lives. And unless we have turned to God in faith and repented of our sins, we will be condemned. And if our lives have not borne the fruit of obedience, we too will be destined for burning, as Isaiah 9 says. Along with those guilty of innocent blood, we will be fueled for the fire. So we see it is not just for unto us a child is born. A lot of people like the idea of the baby in the manger. But there was a menace of the manger because Herod sent his soldiers to kill the babies in Bethlehem because he feared the baby born in the manger. And it seems you've got people in America who every year seem to want to institute lawsuits against any public manger scenes. Imagine that, radical humanist and atheist finding any public expression of Christian faith, uh, even of the baby in the manger, as a threat. Yes. And yet... We no longer worship a babe in the cradle. He's the son of God who died on the cross. The government shall be upon his shoulders. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And we remember that uh, his name is Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is all-knowing. He embodies mm. absolute wisdom. He is the way, the truth, and life. He hears our prayers. He guides his people. He is mighty God. He is all-powerful. God himself. God with us, the incarnation of God, fully God and fully man. He's everlasting Father. He's eternal from everlasting to everlasting. He is compassionate. He cares and provides and he protects. And he is the Prince of Peace. Hmm. Those politicians who think they can achieve peace without Christ are deluded. When Christ first came, there was no room for him at the inn. Today there's no room for him at the UN. Hmm. But only in Christ will we, as individuals, families, and nations, find true and lasting peace. Beautiful. Peter, I really appreciate that. Um, 
You know, you've mentioned your outreach to people. One people group I'm very interested in is the Muslims. Um, have you seen Muslims come to Christ? Can you tell us anything about that that you're oh. that you're free to share? Yes, indeed. By God's grace, I have seen mm. not only individual Muslims come to Christ and dozens of Muslims come to Christ. I have even seen hundreds of Muslims come to Christ in Sudan, in Islamic Sudan. Uh, I'm thinking of one example of 300 Muslims who came across the border. They were government soldiers with the Sudan uh, uh, forces, the Sudan army. They came over to the south and they said, we want to become Christians and we want to fight for the south. <laughs> they said they were so repelled and, and, and so... Uh, disgusted by the brutality and the cruelty and the vindictiveness of, of Islam in North, they said, Islam offers us nothing but fear. Mm. Now, this is extraordinary, but uh, in Sudan, you had so many unusual th- things come together. I've, I've specialized in evangelizing Muslims for most of my Christian life. Uh, I've, I've been specializing in Muslim evangelism for over 30 years. Uh, but the, uh, we work very, very hard for a single convert of Islam normally. But in Sudan and Nigeria, we have seen thousands of Muslims come to Christ, and it's because there you see the, the extreme brutality of the Muslims repel some away from Islam, and the courage and the tenacity of the Christians willing to suffer such terrible punishments and persecutions for their faith has attracted many Muslims. And in Nigeria and Sudan, there are places where Muslims can flee and find religious freedom to convert. And so you've got some unique... Uh, situations coming together, and of course the major move of God's Spirit and answers to prayer, naturally. But there's some extraordinary things going on in both Nigeria and Sudan, which explains why churches are being bombed and Christians are being attacked in northern Nigeria and in Sudan, because Islam is losing. They're losing Mm. ground. They're losing hundreds of thousands of Muslims are coming to Christ in northern Nigeria and in Sudan, and that is why the Muslims who've attacked churches, and I don't know if your listeners are aware, but in the last two years, over 400 churches have been bombed in northern Nigeria, uh, normally on Sunday mornings, during churches, the suicide bombings and attacks. They have attacked Christian schools, Christian colleges, and Christian churches well over 400 times in the last two years in northern Nigeria alone, just because they have got churches in Nigeria that consist of a majority of people from a Muslim background. So, uh, Islam is losing ground in Nigeria and Sudan to such an extent that the Muslims are responding in such violent ways, which to me actually is an admission of defeat. Mm. Oh, that, that's an amazing account. And, um, you know, with our connection here, it's a little bit poor. I, I just want to repeat the statistics. In the last two years, uh, Dr. Hammond said 400 churches have been bombed, destroyed in, in northern Nigeria. And it sounds like, Peter, they do this during the time that a church service is in progress. That is correct. That's, that's, that's awful. And, and yet, um, at the same time, Peter was saying that this is evidence of God really working and how that Christianity is making tremendous strides forwards, praised be to God, and that Islam is losing their numbers to Christianity in these two uh, nations of the world. Yes, indeed it is. Now, I know that Islam is gaining ground in America and Europe, yes. but it's losing ground in Africa. It's losing, losing ground in Africa. Ground in Africa. And the churches in Africa are growing phenomenally. And, of course, the challenge for us is we've got about 100 million 
churchgoers in Africa who do not yet even have their own copy of the Bible. So of the uh, hundreds of millions of people in our churches in Africa, we have 100 million who do not even have their own copy of the Bible. So you can see there's tremendous need for Bible teaching and for Bible delivery and distribution because most of the pastors in Africa have no formal Bible college or theological training. Most. Mm. And so uh, the need for leadership training and for good literature is huge, which is why leadership training and literature are two of the highest priorities of our mission. We see the need to bring the people together, and we have week-long leadership training courses, discipleship training courses, biblical worldview seminars, reformation and revival seminars, biblical worldview seminars, great commission courses. So uh, we go around in a circle, we come back and we do more courses, and each course we run... We give the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists, the chaplains that we're training, we give them books. So we this is what we call our Libraries for Pastors program. And so many of those from Muslim background are some of the most devout, enthusiastic people because they say, you must understand, there is nothing in Islam for us except fear. Yes. You cannot understand what it's like to live under Islam. And the only reason why Islam is so big is because they force people to join and they murder people for leaving. And yes. it, it's, it's a religion of fear and terror. And so in these countries where there's a strong Christian church where they can flee to and find freedom and protection, we find Muslims actually coming to Christ in very in extraordinary numbers. We're talking about churches of thousands in Nigeria where 80% could be from a Muslim background. Mm. Now you've developed, as you mentioned, uh, like a Great Commission course, uh, a biblical worldview seminar to to help churches. Are these uh, available to churches here in America also? Yes, well, they come with manuals, they come with audio MP3 uh, lectures, um, we've got PowerPoints, uh, data disks, and I've put uh, quite a number of the things available also as e-books and PDFs, our discipleship training manuals, mm-hmm. and the Livingston 200 Missions Manual and the Great Commission Manual. So uh, we... We are continuing, we know we go home, we leave, we go on to the next village, but the literature stays, and Amen. the audiovisual material stays, and uh, so we are heavily investing. I think our mission has distributed well over half a million Bibles throughout Africa, in about 26 different languages, and in addition to that, we average about, about 100 tons, 100 tons of Bibles given free every year, mm. and then, in addition to that, huge amounts of, of gospel booklets, leaflets, tracks. So uh, if you started to count the gospel booklets and tracks, it's in the millions of um, uh, tracks and booklets being distributed every year around Africa. And we're still told it's a drop in a bucket. The needs mm. are so much greater than we can even begin to fulfill. That's how fast the church is growing in Africa. We can't keep pace. Yeah, we're just so spoiled here in America. You know, I walk into my study, there's any number of Bibles, and yet some days I'm lazy and I don't even open the Bible, and yet here are people that don't even own a Bible, and, and there's there's thousands of Bibles yet needed. You, you say you're handing out tons of Bibles, literally tons of Bibles. Uh, let's say someone wants to get involved here in America, and they want to support what you're doing there, Peter. What is the best reference whereby they can go to a website and, you know, get information, support, possibly help purchase some Bibles or that sort of thing? Well, we've got our website, frontline.org.za. So it's frontline, F-R-O-N-T-L-I-N-E dot O-R-G dot Z-A. Z-A standing for South Africa uh, or South Africa. So it's frontline.org.za website. We've also got a Facebook page, Frontline Fellowship, 
and you will find on there pictures, PowerPoints, video clips, uh, YouTube clips, sermonaudio.com links, uh, documentation of persecuted church reports on Sudan, Nigeria, the Congo, Zimbabwe, many of these uh, great areas of, of, of suffering. Uh, we've got, for example, a picture I'm looking at right now of an evangelist I'll never forget in Sudan. I, I met this man back in 1998. He was riding a donkey and he had no feet. And mm. I looked and I said, when do you see a man who's lost both feet? And I said, how did this man lose both his feet? Right. And they said, he's an evangelist. So the Arabs chopped off his feet at the ankles. Oh, my. They chopped his feet off. Why did they chop his feet off? Because he's an evangelist. Yes. And to show the others, to be a terror to the others, to say this is what happens for the people who continue to preach the gospel to the neighbors, they chopped off his feet, they mutilated him. But this evangelist did not allow not having feet keep him from taking the gospel to his neighbors. He continued to walk on his knees or to ride on a donkey to take the gospel to his neighbors. He did not allow the inconvenience of not having feet to prevent him ah. from doing the Great Commission. That's, um, <laughs> that brings tears to the eyes. <laughs> uh, Peter, yes, it it's, does for me. it's a joy to talk with you today and for you to take time from your busy schedule to meet with our listeners over the air like this. Um, that address again for Peter's group is frontline.org.za, frontline.org.za. And on that website, you can get directions on how to contact Peter's group and get some of this material. Um, this is um, this is Christmas time, and I can't think of a better way of celebrating Christmas than helping people hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and getting God's Word into their hands. Peter, just a quick wrap-up thought for the next 30 seconds or so. Well, uh, to me, the Great Commission must be our supreme ambition. Uh, the last command of Christ must be our first concern. And we know from personal experience, and I've been a missionary now for over 32 years in this mission, Frontline Fellowship, which God led me to plant, and I, I worked in other missions before, the will of God will never lead you, but the grace of God cannot keep you. Mm-hmm. Say that one more time. The will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. Oh, praise the Lord. Brother Peter, thank you so much for joining us today here on this program. It's a great pleasure. May God bless each of your listeners. May God bless America. We're praying for your country. May God bless you with revival and enable you to win your country back to Christ. Mm, that is exactly what's needed. For Redeemer Broadcasting, I'm Dan Almendorf. Today on the program has been Dr. Peter Hammond. And uh, please feel free to contact us for more information about Frontline.org. And uh, Peter, will stay in touch. And a uh, quick reminder to our listeners, please join us again next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer.